All right, all right. How are we doing this morning? Very good, very good. Hey, really quick, if I could, uh, my name's Kyle, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to just take a second, if you will, just four minutes max, uh, and I, it's a... Uh, I want to give it a little bit of a family business, kind of a little update. So that means if you're a guest, then you just get to peer on. And it's not that you can't know, because you're about to know. Uh, but you don't have to concern yourself with it. How about that? You get to just be a spectator. For those of you who do call this church home, I would care about these details, but you have to be the judge of that. But I just wanted to give a quarterly update, okay? So our budget year runs July 1st to June 30th. So that means as of today, we've completed the first quarter of our fiscal year. So what did we accomplish the last three months? That's just what I'm going to communicate and kind of give a report, if you will, of what we accomplished, which I'm really excited about. And I, I believe this. I think that what we celebrate, God accelerates. So today I want to kind of be transparent. I want to be informative, but I most of all want to worship God for what he is doing in and through here. Is that Okay. All right, beautiful. Uh, so what have we been doing? We have been doing this because it's all that we do. It's literally what we sold all of our resources into accomplishing. It is our mission statement. We're here to help the family of God grow in their faith, find freedom, and build a better future. So how do we do that? We talked about this in August in our Steward This series that the Lord asks us to pay attention to our flocks, to care about the flock, know the status, the health, where our flock is at. And so we want to do that with you right now. So since July 1st, here's what we've discovered. Our average weekend attendance is 1,025 people. Yay, that's awesome. Uh, now that's awesome, but I want to give you a little bit of perspective. Here's the perspective. Last year at this exact day, it was 822. So if you're feeling like, wow, there's more people I don't know, that's because it's true, okay? So that's awesome, and hence why we're doing some of the things we're doing. So how and where are these people coming from? Glad that you asked. Uh, so far, since July 1st, we've had 118 first-timers. What's really cool is these are people we've identified. We don't count it unless we identify them. And when I say identify, it's not just like, hey, I don't know this person. We get their name and their information. So 118 over 13 weeks is, is about nine families a week we are meeting for the first time, which I think is incredible. All right? Salvations and rededications. These are 11 people who have come to Jesus or come back to Jesus. That's amazing. We want to celebrate that. We've added 23 new members to our church, which is awesome. And then uh, a good majority of them were done last week, but we baptized 14 individuals. And I'm excited. In November, we're going to baptize some more. So that's very, very good. We, we can celebrate that, church. Okay. Uh, good. I was nervous. I was like, no, that's, that, that's, it's never just another Sunday, right? Every Sunday is an opportunity for a prodigal to come home and we need to, we need to celebrate it for what it is. Uh, all of heaven is rejoicing. Now here's the deal. We weren't just called to take attendance. We weren't just called to have really good data. We're called to disciple people, to make people fishers of men, to disciple them. That was the commission that God, Jesus gave to us. And so how we accomplish that, we very much are modeled after the Acts 2 early church, meaning that we, we kind of want to practice what they practiced. And so in Acts 2, we discovered that the formula for the early church, and if you want to know more about this, please go listen to our All In series. It's a February series we did last year. We deep dive this part of it. But what they did is it says that they studied God's word. 
in the temple. They met in each other's homes daily with glad and sincere hearts. That's a key part because they didn't just show up and like put on a face. They showed up and were happy and authentic when they were there. That's really important. And they took care of widows and orphans. So they took care of people who were both spiritually and physically needy, in need of something. They met their needs. And so we equate that into three kind of simplistic terms is time, talent, and treasure. We very much monitor, watch, guard, protect, advance, and put effort towards moving our church and their time, their talent, and treasure. So I want to give an accounting of that. For time, there are currently 793 people who meet weekly in small groups or discipleship groups Sunday through Saturday. That's incredible. We also invest our time in supporting our ministry partners. We invest our time in serving our community. We had three serve days so far this year. 48 individuals were involved and they gave 261 hours of service to help our ministries and ministry partners, including Friends of Recovery and Project Hope. That's incredible. That's 261 hours of free labor, free investment. That, that's people giving up their time to sow into someone who brings hope to a certain area of our community. And I couldn't be more proud about that. Obviously, I want to see that go up, but we're going to celebrate what it is. All right? Talent. To operate this ministry, we rely on 200 volunteers a week. That's incredible. 200 volunteers help us pull off a Sunday every week. Of that, we've added 39 first serves in the last three months, which is amazing. Yes. So if you are looking to get on the field, you want to get in the game, play with us, put your hand to the plow, please let us know. We'd love to help you connect because again, it takes an army. It doesn't just take one person. We're here to equip the saints. That's amazing. We've equipped 39 new saints to do the work of the ministry. All right. Treasure. As of 925, because we care about what people's hearts are, as of 925, our budget need was 488,000. Of that, 486,000 and some changes come in. So we're right on target budget, which is amazing because it was an increase in our budget over last year. So thank you for those of you who steward to this place. You're generous. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to celebrate that uh, we have added 34 new donors. 34 individuals have put their heart with us since July 1st. So that's amazing. Uh, officially, as of 9-12, we completed a $250,000 renovation of 227. It's a multi-use space for our kids and students programs. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I kind of did a little open house. You can go up and check it out. We passed our final inspection, and next Sunday, that room will go into use. Already adult discipleship is using it, but next Sunday, our kids' ministry moves up there, and then our youth is going to go up there on Wednesday nights, which is amazing because it's a stellar room. And thank you for all of those who blood, sweat, and tears to make that one happen. There's a lot of you. Also, we are nearing the completion. This week, they're telling me it's going to wrap up of our 650,000 roofing project that we started in June. I hate roofs. <laughs> but thank God we steward our resources well. We were able to pay cash, no debt, and that's amazing. And here's the deal. The building, yes, we can celebrate that. Uh, you might not realize this, you might not agree with it, but we feel like the greatest asset that this uh, church has is our property, and we try to steward it well. That means we have to take care of it well, and it is used all the time in multiple different ways, and we celebrate that. And so taking care of our roof is really important. All right, so again, to accommodate all this, you might not wear this, 
You might be, not be aware of this, and so I want to make sure you're aware of this. To accommodate all that God is up to, we are moving to three services starting next week. If you didn't know that, you're going to either show up early or late next week. Choice is yours. But we are changing our service times, and, and here's why. I know that some people don't like that. I don't like it. I don't want to preach a third time. Just be honest. But here's what I know, and this is just simple, and there's nothing theological about it, so don't, don't take that as theological opinion here, but when you go to a movie theater and you walk in and the place is packed, are you cheering inside? No. But yet we expect people who don't yet know Jesus or the church or why we are as crazy as we are, that when they walk in, there's nowhere to sit or nowhere to park. You expect them to be happy. I say all that to say is the only people that like full houses are Christians. It's wild. It is. And so we are intentionally creating space. No one likes to sit next to each other. People like to spread out. People like to, to not have to wait in line for coffee. People don't want to have to fight in the parking lot for a parking spot before coming to worship Jesus. All of these things. So we're adding space, okay? And, and I know it comes at a cost. I thank you for bearing that cost. I, I thank you for this, for giving up what you love for what you love even more as people experiencing Jesus. Because that's what it hopefully means and translates to. Please, for love of God. That's the whole point of it. All right? So to celebrate that, right? Because that is a big deal. We just decided to kind of partner that, the kickoff, if you will, with Fall Fest. So next week is Fall Fest. And I, again, I'm a firm believer in this. What we celebrate, we accelerate. God accelerates. And so next week is our Fall Fest. What does that mean to you? It means this, is we're gonna have church as normal, but we're just gonna have fun as the family of God. And that means we have Patterson's Donuts, we have Apple Cider, uh, we have Nobles Darby, he is the, the chaplain of the Cleveland Browns, he's gonna come and bring the word, he's an incredible speaker, I'm excited for that, and I'm excited that I get to, to ask him at the end of service, how was three services? <laughs> Instead of doing it myself. Um, but we're gonna have a ton of fun, we got a ton of things for the family to participate in, there's gonna be fires. And, and here's the deal, if you've been praying about inviting someone or you've been thinking about someone that should come, next week is a great way to do it. It's a great way to invite them. And listen, if you have no one to invite, I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to come and celebrate with the family. Come hang out with us. Come eat a donut and meet someone you don't know and get to know them a little bit better because I don't want to be a big church. I want to be a healthy church and a healthy church is people who know each other. All right. So that's happening next week. Uh, so look forward to that. Does that sound good? 8.30, 10.30, 10 a.m. and 11.30. Those are the three service times and it's happening at the end of each service, all right? Would you join me in praying as we thank God for what he is doing? Father, thank you for what you are up to. We believe it when we sang it. We believe it when we said it. We believe it when we declared it, uh, that you were gonna build your church and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail. And so Father, thank you for trusting us with your harvest. Father, I pray that we steward it well. I pray that we keep pointing people to be more like you. And I pray that you bless us uh, with more abundance of resources to take care of them well. So God, thank you for those who sacrificially give of their time, their talent, and their treasure to help us accomplish the mission you put in our heart. We pray that you would continue to bless us to give, to do so, and to see heaven scrape the pavement here in Willoughby Hills and beyond. So thank you for what you're doing, to your honor, to your glory, and for you, we do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get political. Yay. 
Today, we are wrapping up our series on uh, hot sauce. We're talking about the sauciest topics around. And uh, this is maybe a year premature, but it's already started, right? You're starting to see the political ads. Uh, One of the sauciest things we could talk about is politics. Politics. It's been said that uh, religion and politics don't mix. But is that really true? Can we have a political views outside of the consideration of our Christian faith? And I just have to submit to you, I don't know. I, I don't know. Today's like a choose your own adventure. And, and here's what I mean is, is I, I, and I'm not saying this jokingly. I'm not saying this facetiously. I'm saying this uh, with, with integrity and, and I mean it. Uh, today's takeaway is really up to you. It's what you receive from it. It's what you're challenged by. I would tell you that my hope is to offend every single one of you. And again, I'm not joking. I don't mean that because I was offended. I'm hoping that I offend the humanness still inside of you. I'm hoping that I offend uh, what you have put in front of your pursuit to be more like Jesus. I'm hoping that I oppose in you some behaviors, especially in relation to politics and maybe our opinions that we need to submit at the foot of the cross. And so that's what I mean. I do hope that you're walking away offended today, but not beat down. But we push Jesus up and we know we can get behind of the trajectory that he is. Because here's the deal. This church is filled with hypocrites. I'm one. You're one. And there's room for more. Because every day we try to be like Jesus and we don't succeed. And so we're hypocrites. But the cool part is we get back on get back up, get back on the the hypocrite horse and we keep riding and again, try to be more like Jesus. So how we approach scripture, how we approach this topic, how we're gonna go today, I want you to know there's a very, very strong truth that you, you just have to know. The truth is this, is that when we read scripture, we carry our biases, our experience, our past into what we read scripture. It's natural. If there was a way that I could turn it off in you, I would. But we can't. We all do it. And so that's where it's, what am I, what am I saying? What does that mean? It, 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 I'm saying this, is that the most staunch Democrat can read scripture and justify their political opinions. The most passionate Republican can read scripture and justify their political position. The question I have for us is, Will we trust Jesus enough to pick up his opinion? Because that's all that really matters. Opinions are like butts. We all have them. And they stink, okay? So let's start at a macro level. Let's start real big. And I, I, again, I'm gonna come out the, the gate. I just wanna, I'm just gonna offend you right off the bat. Here we go. I think it's really important that we understand how we got here. And if we don't understand how we got here, the truth is this, history will always repeat itself. So here's what I'm talking about. America, the United States of America, which why is this important is because this is a bias that's put in us. We're all here. We're all living here. We value our rights. We live in the land of the free, home of the brave. A lot of people are trying to move in here, which is again, now a political thing. And yet we have to understand that that influences how we approach scripture. And I think if we don't break off this part right off the bat, the rest of the conversation doesn't matter. And this first part is the hard part. America's birth through rebellion. It it just is. 
America was founded by rebels, and it's important to remember that we are a nation born of rebellion. Rebellion is in our heart. It's stained every single one of us. American independence sprung forth from the hearts of men that said, no taxation without representation. That means that we carry the stain of rebellion in how we look at scripture. If you don't believe me, let me just share this with you. While the United States has 5% of the world's population, 25% of its world's prisoners are held here. We care about our rights so much that we violate others to exercise our own. In fact, we have an, a, such an, a, a sense of rebellion, you just look at our political campaigns. We pride ourselves on how well we could take down our opponent, how well we could cut them at their throat. That's how we win elections. So what does this mean? It means, as I said, that you could scour scripture to justify your opinions. The most passionate Republican, the most ardent Democrat can always find a justification for their opinions. The question we must ask ourselves is we will surrender our opinions. Will we surrender our opinions and our beliefs and our behaviors to be like Jesus? When it comes to politics, our challenge as Christians is that we don't behave like Christians. How should a Jesus-following Republican, how should a Jesus-following Democrat treat, speak, respond to one another, both publicly and privately? That's not a trick question. In fact, it's a very simple answer. Uh, the way Jesus treated, spoke, and responded to those who disagreed with him, he died for them. He gave up his life for them. The moment our love or concern for country takes precedence over our love for people in our country, we are off mission. And we're guilty right now sitting in this room of being off mission. I'm gonna say this is the most important point, if you will, today. How we treat, talk, respond, and care for one another is the identifying mark of a genuine Jesus follower, not what we believe. Some of you didn't just get that. See, some of you, you actually are under the lie that what you believe and your intentions trump or, or is how you'll be judged. But I will tell you, it's not what you believe, it's actually how you behave because your behavior is really what drives your belief structure. And many of us, we say one thing with our mouth and we do something else with our actions. How we treat, talk about, talk to, respond to, and how we care for one another is the identifying mark of a genuine Jesus follower, not what they believe. You can wear all of the coolest Christian t-shirts that tell everyone what you believe, but if you treat them like garbage, that's what you really care about. Does the world know us by our love? Now listen, if we didn't have a messaging problem, I wouldn't be talking about this. But overwhelmingly, we have a messaging problem, don't we? Because the world knows us not by our love. They know us by what we're against. Political and ideology or ideological alignment is not a prerequisite for carrying one another's burdens. I can love you the way Jesus loved me regardless of who you voted for. So what does that mean? It means that the enemy of the church, it's on your screen, is not another political party. The enemy of the church is division. 
But here's the best part. The way forward is simple. Not easy simple. That's what we love. We want it to be simple and easy. This is unfortunately very, very difficult, but it's a very easy to understand. The way forward is we must choose unity over party. We must choose one another. And here's why. Our commitment to and love for one another must publicly supplant our commitment to political brands and talking points. And when our country or party of choice requires a choice that conflicts with Jesus's new covenant, one another brand of love, well, that's the fun part. That's when we get to discover what we really believe. We get to discover what we really stand for. But here's what I know. It's not elections, it's people. Your party will win or lose based on one simple reality come one specific day in November, and that's voter turnout. That's it. Tuesday, November. But here's the point. The church will win or lose. Our communities will win or lose based on our response to Jesus' new covenant command and our refusal to let anything divide us. To let anything divide us. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to turn to the book of Titus. That's gonna be our text for today. I love the book of Titus. It's found in the New Testament towards the back. Titus was written by a guy named Paul. He was the greatest missionary and church planter that the New Testament had ever known. And and what happened is he went there and he started a church. He got a group of ragtag people passionate about the message of, of Jesus. They believed in his death and his resurrection. They believed he conquered the grave and therefore they cared about others. And then he started this group off and then he empowered this young guy named Titus. And they said, I want you to lead them. And why is that important is because here's the deal. Are you a young, hungry person who's been called to lead your family? Yes. Yes, you are. You've been called to lead yourself, to lead your family, and to lead the people around you. So what Paul says to Titus can be practical for us. It's what we should do to lead our families and our church and our lives in a very political, divisive arena, much like Paul was speaking to Titus in. So we're going to pick up in chapter two. We're going to read through it. And then I'm going to get real practical, okay? Here we go. Titus chapter two, we're going to start in verse 11. It says this, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from our godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to the hope of that wonderful day when the glory of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Now, I'm just going to pause right here because I love this. I love that Paul, as he's teaching this young man, he establishes his place in the world. I was a sinner in need of a savior. I was dead and then I was, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was in charge and then I chose to submit. I once thought I knew everything and now I'm willing to lay down everything for what I believe. I position himself to then state what he has to say. 
And I would just ask you right now, that's usually a major uh, a leveling set of, of Christians in a room. It is Are we known more for what we think or, or who we are and what Jesus did in our life? And we should start there. So, so would you just read the rest of this with me, remembering that you are a sinner in need of grace? That you were saved, that nothing you did changed anything? It's the fact that you believed in his death and resurrection and you submitted to him as Lord and Savior, that you are here today. Now this next part, let's pick up in verse, or chapter three, verse one. He says, I want you to remind the believers to do all of these things, to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. You know who makes uh, political commercials? They're not Christians. They don't do any of this. They don't. But it's really easy to point the stone at everyone else. How, how are you known? What, what, what is the, the content of your Facebook pages and your social media? Does it, does it read that you're submissive to the government? You're obedient to God? You're always ready to do what is good? You're not slandering anyone? You're avoiding quarreling, fighting, conflict, because you choose peace instead? Are you gentle, and show true humility to everyone? Now, let's be honest, most of us, the answer is no. We gotta do better. As a church, we gotta do better. But let me remind you how we got here is we think we have rights. We, we think that matters. But I'm sorry, it doesn't. It doesn't. So pick up in verse three. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many of our lusts and pleasures and opinions. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But, but when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life. A new life, a new lens, a new perspective, a new life through the Holy Spirit. So, so, so what do we do with this? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I, I think in there, in that, that text that we just read, there's some real practical takeaways that we can walk out of here today just doing better. And if we do these very practical things, not only will we be better, our church will be better and our world will be better. Are you ready? I hope this helps. But again, it's a choose your own adventure. You get to hear what you want. You get to ask yourself some questions. I hope you have an amazing lunch filled with lots of political conversations. Number one, we have to choose the lamb over the donkey or the elephant. To choose the lamb. Look what he says. This is Jesus. He, he says in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. 
but my kingdom is not of this world. Now I will tell you, that's one of the most powerful pieces of scripture that we're gonna read today. And here's why. How many of us feel like we gotta fight to keep America a Christian nation? We gotta fight. We gotta fight. Yeah, what did Jesus just say? Anything you fight for is foolishness because his kingdom is not earthly. It's not the United States of heaven that we're fighting for. We're fighting for heaven and we are not of this world. He says it again through Paul in Philippians. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. We have to choose the lamb over the donkey or the elephant. And the question is, are we more American than Christian? Unfortunately, I think we are. Paul was plain in his words. We are citizens of heaven. This isn't wishful thinking. It isn't a far off promises and a hope. It's a fact. And Jesus reiterates it in John. We are not of this world. We don't have to fight. Because here's the deal. If we would have fought to keep Jesus off the cross, you and I wouldn't be here today. If we would have fought to get him in power, he wouldn't have been able to die for us. If we would have taken up arms to protect what's ours, we wouldn't have this church. Number two, we have to choose theology over our ideology. Now here's the deal. We all have ideologies. They're like opinions. Some are good based on your experiences and your beliefs and your set of structures. And that's great. Everyone has ideologies. They're awesome. The problem is, is if we don't prioritize theology and our understanding of God over our ideologies, what happens is our ideologies steer our theology. And we start to make God say things he never said. We start to make scripture say what it never said or never intended. I'll give you an example. If we use scripture as a weapon, we're doing it wrong. It's not a weapon. Why does that matter? Because Isaiah, when talking about God, is so clear when he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Paul reiterates in 1 Corinthians, he says, for wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. What is he saying? On our best day, we're still foolish compared to God. Everything we think we know, everything we think we understand is still foolish to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in their snare of their own cleverness. Ultimately, as disciples of Jesus, we must be people whose thoughts begin and end with him. And here's the crazy part. It's gonna make us different. It's gonna make us outcasts. It's gonna cause pain. It's gonna cause problems. It's gonna jack up our workplaces. It's gonna jack up our, our social lives. Yep. Because Jesus said, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up this torture device that's gonna cost you everything and follow me. Yep, you're gonna lose everything. Welcome to saying yes to Christ. To die is gain. But you're not alone. We're in this together. Number three, we have to choose people over party. 
When saving America diverts energy, focus, and reputation away from saving Americans, we unfortunately no longer qualify as the ecclesia of Jesus, the church of Jesus. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And I think too many of us, we say, come back to God and vote A, B, C, D, E and behave this way. But that's not what God said. We aren't merely political tools. We aren't supposed to be manipulated through voting demographics. We're not just photo ops. Guess what? Spoiler alert, the church is not here to win. Some of you are like, what? Listen, I'm gonna say it again. The church is not here to win. We already won. I don't have anything to win. I serve the one who won. And the gates of hell are not gonna prevail. The church doesn't need to win. Why? Because by every human measure, our savior lost. But here's the best part. He lost on purpose and with a purpose. He died so that you and I may have life and life to the full. And then he asked us to lay our life down to lay our preferences down, to lay our opinions down, to crawl up on the altar as a living sacrifice and say yes to him. We have to choose people over a party. Number four is the toughest one for Kyle. We have to choose submission over rebellion. We have to break the American bondage mindset office. We have to get that blood-stained rebellion that's DNA printed in every single one of us. We have to rip it out. Only by the grace of God can we. Because here's why we are never more like the devil than when we choose to rebel. You know, believe me, read Isaiah 14. You are never more like the devil than when you choose to rebel. But no, 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 pastor, we got to stand up. We got to stick it to the man. We got to rage against the machine. You are never more like Satan than when you choose to rebel. But here's the most beautiful part. You are never more like Jesus than when you choose to submit. He had it all and he gave it all. We're not here to win. We already won. We're here to get as many people on course with our mission and our mission is not of this world. We are never more like Satan than we choose to build. And the best part is we are never more like Jesus than when we choose to submit. And here's the fun one. We have to choose trust. Number five, we have to choose trust over panic. First Peter says this, for the Lord's sake, Submit to all human authority. Whether the king is the head of the states or the officials he has appointed, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. In Romans 8, Paul says one of the most challenging verses for me. He says uh, that he is the author of authority. Again, many of us say we read the Bible. We, we say that we're, we're pro-Jesus, but do we believe that these are the words of life? I sometimes wonder because I hear a lot of people, especially in 2008, when Obama got elected, they said, not my president, or he's never gonna leave. 
or he's the Antichrist. And I'm sitting there going, huh. So how do you read Romans 8? Is he the author of authority or did he just drop some responsibilities that we don't know about? Is our sitting president appointed by God, yes or no? If God is the author of authority, whether you like Joe Biden or not, he's our president. And how we talk, whether we slander or quarrel or are we at peace or when we choose not to submit, says a lot more about our belief in God and our belief in scripture than it does about him. Do we choose trust over panic? The, the real question is, guys, do you think that God is dropping the ball? Do, do you think his throne is in jeopardy? Do, do you think he's in control or no? Because if you do, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king or the head of the state or the officials he has appointed, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. It's real simple. But our humanity makes it hard. Our blood-stained history as a bunch of rebels makes it hard. But here's what's crazy to me is I was just at dinner yesterday and a person who's not from America, his family immigrated over here. He says, I, I, I never feel more alive or I never feel worship than when I'm back in Vietnam and I'm sitting with a bunch of people who are worshiping as if it's the last time they'll ever get to worship together. Yet every Sunday is just a choice. Eh, I feel like going. Let's go. I feel like serving today. Let's, let's do it. Oh, they got donuts? Let's, let's, I like donuts. Let's have donuts. What's amazing is historically is the church flourishes like it cannot be stopped when there's persecution. What's crazy is in the midst of freedom, the church hardly moves the needle. What are, what are we afraid of? I think what we're really afraid of is losing our own comfort at the expense of an expanding kingdom. Why is it that China, where Christianity is illegal, sends more missionaries all over the world than the United States? It's illegal. They don't care. They're willing to die for it. They're willing to take their message of hope to the ends of the earth because they're not here for some government. They're here for the kingdom of God. Do not read the Bible with such a narrow, simple American mentality. Read scripture holistically from a global perspective and you will understand that your rights don't stack up much. Because the right that God has asked you to pick up is your cross, to die to yourself, to die to your ideology, to die to your opinion and to follow him. And it's gonna cost you everything. And then he says, good, it cost me everything. He didn't come and overthrow the Roman government. No, he came and he died. I know it's crazy. Now it's not all bad news because here's the deal. True, God isn't a Republican or Democrat. True, God will be in control no matter what. Praise Jesus, thank you. True, God has ordained the outcome of every election. You may not believe that, I do, because he's the author of authority. But God is also ordained by means to achieve the outcome because he gave us the exercise ability and the, the responsibility of voting. So vote. 
But here's the deal. Don't vote at the expense or, or, or don't make your opinion so known that it comes at the expense of people. Just vote. And some of you might say, well, my vote doesn't matter. Okay, then don't let it matter. Just be like Jesus. Some of you think your vote matters. Good. Vote as passionately and as intentionally, but don't, don't let your vote trump people. Vote. So where do we go from here? I don't know. Maybe today we just simply remember it wasn't a Christianity. It was Christianity, not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party that shaped Western civilization. It was the teaching of Jesus, not our political parties that laid the groundwork for our modern sense of justice, fairness, dignity, and the individual. And maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm just foolish. You could be the judge. But here's what I know, a rabbi from nowhere standing in the middle of pretty much nowhere, baking in the hot Syrian sun with 12 young men, making this audacious promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Seems pretty foolish too. But for 2000 years, every attempt to silence the message has gone and failed. Every attempt to silence the message. In fact, it was the Roman empire who when they couldn't beat it, they joined it. Now listen, when they joined it, I can't tell you things got better because again, they corrupted it. And then there's a whole new burden of responsibility for Christians. But can I tell you, you wanna change the world? Do what the early church did in the midst of the Roman empire persecution. They stood in line to die. They said, if, if, if death is what I have to have because of this faith, will they kill me? So many people stood up that they couldn't silence the message. So they joined it. They joined Christianity. Want to change America? Want to change our future? Do the craziest thing in the world. Love God with everything, your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. That's it. If enough of us just start loving God with everything, our heart, soul, strength, and mind, everything that we have, everything that we are, and we just treat people the way we want to be treated. We will be the most unstoppable force as we have been for the last 2,000 years. All because of a crazy, audacious person who said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is what makes Christians good. This is what makes Christians cheerful. This is what makes us losers, not lose hope. Our role is simply to remain true to the way of Christ, seeking to transform the world through prayer, service, persuasion. And I know we don't like this last one, suffering. Suffering. I told you church, it's a choose your own adventure. You walk out of here and be like, do what you want. Okay. Or you walk out of here and go, you know, maybe, maybe my mouth needs to be quiet. Maybe my fingers need to type a little bit less. Maybe I don't have to worry about things that I'm afraid of because... God's got it. He's the author of authority. And I don't think he's slipping. I don't think he's sweating. 
I don't think he's worried. And I don't think we have to either. And here's the last one, because again, I'm just gonna reiterate it for me. Is, is that American side of us? Man, that was challenging for me this week. We are never more like Satan than when we choose to rebel. Ooh, ooh. But man, we are never more like Jesus when we choose to submit. Are you willing to lay down even your rights to follow Jesus? Only you can make that choice. Only you can make that choice. Hey, let's close in prayer. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you are the author of authority. God, thank you that in the midst of our fear, our doubt, our worry, our unknown, our, our need to protect, our need to defend, our need to fight for, our need to, to, to do anything, God, we could just bring all that to your foot of the cross and we get to pick up your burden, which is light, your yoke, which is easy. And God, may we submit and surrender to your will. Father, may we render under Caesar what's Caesar, but God, may we take your mission and we make it our life's work. May we go and make fishers of men. May we go and make disciples. Will we love you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, everything that we are, everything that we have, and we just treat people the way that we want to be treated. And Father, may we continue to be a part of a movement that cannot be stopped. The gates of hell will not prevail. That it is your church that we are building and our future is secure because you won. And therefore we win. So help us, Father. As we begin to lay down our lives, as you lay down your life, as we begin to lay down our will and pick up yours, it's not by sword, it's not by shield, it's by our heart and our love. So God, we give it to you now for your glory and your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.